Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 139. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Massachusetts. And on Life of the School podcast, I like to sit down with a panel of life science teachers and ask them what's going on in their classroom and to talk about specific issues that we're dealing with and facing with our students. And on this episode, we're going to discuss two grading practices that are used in many classrooms, but are certainly possible issues when it comes to grade equity. And I will say before we get into this, this is 100% a damn Lee Ferguson for making me read a book to make me think about these topics. And uh, and it came directly out of that as I was about halfway through <laughs> grading for equity. I came up with that idea. So. <laughs> And I have successfully made Lee laugh before we yes. get the introductions. I feel, I feel a little a growing... bit like a drug pusher this way. <laughs> it's like, here, read this book. It's really good. <laughs> I didn't make you spit water yeah, this that's time. Good. But I didn't that's make good. I was not drinking something at the time. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to kick our show off with our uh, with our goofy question. And uh, fortunately, Lee will be first. Uh, we start with the goofy question. This time it's, have you been caught up in the 2022 Wordle Wave um, or any other puzzle games that your friends, family, students are playing? And joining us from Texas is Lee Ferguson. Yeah. So so no, actually, I haven't played Wordle. Um, I know what it is, though, because my students talk about it. Um, in fact, one of the times that the word was caulk, like C-A-U-L-K, um, <laughs> one of my kids came to me and he's like, do you play Wordle? Mrs. Ferguson said, no, but I know what it is. And he asked me what that word was, which launched me into a long conversation with him about homeownership and how this is what you use to seal up tiles in the bathroom. <laughs> And I'm thinking he probably learned more than he ever cared to know about how to caulk a tub that day. <laughs> but hey, he asked. So yeah. so no, I, I don't play Wordle, but I have played Swerdle, which is a variation of Wordle that uses swear words, which is really funny because when you get the swear word right, it says at the end, your mother must be so proud. <laughs> so, so there you go. Not the not safe for work exactly. version of Wordle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, joining us from Illinois is Amy Kelly. Welcome, Amy. Hello, hello. Uh, so I actually haven't heard of Wordle up until about a week ago when I guess at our department meeting, the first 15 minutes were devoted to whatever that Wordle was at the time. <laughs> so I feel a little behind the times. Um, but honestly, um, my favorite puzzle game, I loved Rubik's Cube. So <laughs> I just taught myself to do one at the age of 40 last year. And I was so proud. It took me like three hours to figure out how to do it once. But once I figured it out, uh, you know, I do it all the time as like a de-stressor for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that is my favorite puzzle game. Uh, if you were to go upstairs, you would see a collection of uh, my son's speed cubes. Uh, because they have just literally my 14-year-old's, one of his most recent purchases of the thing he had to buy was a new Rubik's Cube. And my wife was like, 
why do you need this one? She goes, this is a speed cube. And I, she said, I thought those other three ones over there were speed cubes. And he's like, yes, but this one's different. It comes in this pouch. So yeah, I would say that there's, it's safe to say that there are at least 15 different cubes in our house uh, oh my between gosh. my two sons. So uh, yes. And I have no idea how to do a Rubik's cube anymore. <laughs> it's one of those kind of things is like, if you probably, it's like, I'm like the, the kid who like, if I grew up and like, you know, my sons became like LeBron James, I might not want to play basketball like with them, you know, because <laughs> they're, they're always timing themselves and seeing how fast they can do it. <laughs> uh, all right. And returning to the podcast after a long, long break it, from Ohio is John Darko. Welcome, John. Hello, everyone. How's it going? Great. Uh, I am. Yes, I am Wordle obsessed for mm -hmm. sure. I do it uh, really before I have my coffee in the morning. Uh, <laughs> I would say every day there's not a day i don't miss wordle uh i love it a lot and <clears throat> my whole family does it so we share on our uh messages uh, who got it first and in in which times and lots of strategy behind it my a lot of my students do it too i showed all my students how to play wordle uh which was fun and so now they're always uh bragging when they beat Mr. Darko. Uh, so that's good. The The other Wordle-like game that came out uh, that I also play every day is called Worldle, oh, yeah. uh, which is, it's kind of fun. It gives you a picture of a country. And then within six guesses, you have to guess which country it is. Yeah. Each clue will tell you uh, the north south east west direction it is and how far away it is from your guess so it, it's kind of fun uh i would say without looking at a map i would get almost none of them so <laughs> i think new zealand new zealand and there was another one um that i got without looking at a map but yeah yeah i also liked uh i i could never solve a rubik's cube like amy were like do you have a algorithm me memorized amy for solving it yeah yeah okay. there's like four or five different patterns that you you memorize and uh that will get you solved every time yes i never could memorize that and i did change the stickers when i was little um, <laughs> for sure. nice. uh, i i had a it kind of looked like rubik's made a it almost looked like a jacob's ladder uh rubik's have you seen that yeah that, that was fun too i liked playing that one yeah we got one of those in my house too um <laughs> it's crazy my my 14 year old does play that that world as well uh I, i've seen i've definitely seen that one played yeah so for me i have to do the wordles first thing in the morning because if i don't and i have my ap class my ap students talk about mm. it so it gets ruined for me so like if i haven't done it before i have my my d block ap students like they just talk about it and they're like oh we won't talk about it and so they're like saying but the word kind of reminded me of i'm like no no you can't tell me <laughs> <laughs> word reminded you of <laughs> no spoilers <laughs> yeah so if i if i actually want to do it and have it be my own intellectual work i have to do it before my ap students show up because they will be talking about it every day um but the the two other ones that are popular in my house uh one is uh, called hurdle like h-e-a-r-d um and that is like a name that tune 
uh, where you will get the first like second of a pop song and then the cool. next couple seconds of the pop song and then the next seven and you get up to six guesses and like your sixth guess, you're getting 16 seconds of the intro. So, uh, and I will tell you, uh, it's making me feel old because I don't know a lot of these, you know, songs recently. And it was great because there was one that was a, um, it was an outcast song was like the first one I did. And I got to the point and I was like, Oh, and I was like around a bunch of other people and they had no idea <laughs> what it was. And I was like, I was like, come on guys. Like, you don't know. <laughs> like, what, was it Southern playlistic Cadillac music? Uh, no, it was not. It was, uh, it was, uh, uh, Ms. Jackson, ah, yes. uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people of a certain age can all nod along yes. with that one because it was just like, I was like, this sounds familiar. And I was like, and the funny thing is about it, like the second guess is like, is this a Janet Jackson song? Uh, was the thing that came to my head. <laughs> but, and then I got to the next clue and I was like, oh no, that's why the word Jackson was in your head. <laughs> Subliminally it was in the back. So, um, and then my wife plays this game that I still don't understand, which is called Samantle, which is is like you just put in a random word and it tells you how close the word you've guessed is to that word and you have unlimited guesses but like you just keep guessing and guessing and guessing and like the other day the word was pork and like so you just guess a word and you're like street and they give you a number and it's like you're cold and all right and then you guess like bird and then it's got like this green thing and you're like that's number 600 out of a thousand so it's like 400 <laughs> words closer and you're like i don't even know what this means and so it's like it's the weirdest puzzle that i just i've done it a couple of times i've even gotten the right answer a couple of times and i have no idea how they work it out uh or the so you're just randomly it, so. guessing words yeah, but it's kind of like it's kind of like hotter, colder though. So like you guess a word and then you get like data back of how close semantically the word <laughs> oh, is weird. to the word that you get. Yeah, sounds <laughs> like hell. It, it really, it's a very strange thing, and and that one also is is out of uh, Great Britain or is based off of Greenwich Mean Time because it resets at seven p.m. So if you don't get it by 7 p.m., it resets. So like, it's a very weird, it's a weird puzzle. But it's amazing how many of these that have popped up in just the last four months. Like this was not a thing four months ago. Um, and now they got all these puzzles. So, um, all right. Well, this is the the least uh, the, the the least evergreen uh, intro we've ever done because I'm sure this will not sound like a, two years from now. People are like, why why was everyone so obsessed with all these games a few years ago? But. Um, We'll all blame the pandemic. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I want to I want to get into this a little bit. And um, as I as I mentioned before in the intro, um, uh, my during my February break, I finally went through grading for uh, grading for equity, which Lee has uh, many, many times uh you know, said, this is a great book. You got to read this book. Um, and I was like feeling very smug about a lot of the policies. Uh, but there's a couple that I did, didn't feel so smug about because uh, there are things that I think I'm still grappling with, or I, I had to think about and I'm like, where do these fit into it? And I, I felt like that that's a couple of shows. That's definitely it. And so when I started chatting with Lee a little bit and talking to some other folks, I was like, yeah, I think these are, these are some topics that we'll want to want to address. And so let's uh, set the baseline first. And we're going to talk about uh, zeros and group grades today specifically. So let's start with that as the topic. And I'm curious, does your school have any grading policies or maybe even your state? Because I know that Texas is weird and Texas probably has some policies on these that tell you what you can and can't do. Um, but are there any policies in place about either zeros or group grades? And we'll start with you, Amy. Uh, do you have any policies uh, in particular? 
So I would say no, we don't have any official policies on grading, at least none that I'm aware of. Um, I know prior to the pandemic, we were definitely having conversations about things like assessment literacy and designing equitable assessments. And we started discussing, you know, formative versus summative. And our department really focused in on not grading formative work and just focusing on grading summative work. And, uh, you know, it was kind of an understanding that most of the work would probably be individual work. But honestly, after the pandemic, a lot of that, that talk shifted to mm-hmm. other focuses. And although we still have conversations about like consistency, uh, I wouldn't say there's any official policy that we have to follow regarding those things. Interesting. Interesting. And uh, how about you, John? What Do you have any policies set in place in your school or maybe even conversations about policies about those types of things? So we, we generally don't have any policy. I would say uh, our high school staff pushes back uh, anytime there is some kind of push for a policy on grades. Mm-hmm. And I'm in, in that group. Uh, I like not having any policies. I like when the administration just trusts that teachers are going to do the best thing, but still have conversations about, you know, what would be equitable, equitable grading and what would not be, but still trusting the teachers to ultimately have the decision authority about how they would make a grade for whatever that means in their classroom. I myself don't have a coherent view on (laughs) grading, kind of just piecemeal ideas together. The the one thing I would say is if a student is suspended, uh, (laughs) has an unexcused absence, then any work like a test, for example, that the student missed during that time, the highest grade they are allowed to be awarded for that is a 60%. And uh, 59% is a passing grade. So that's, that's, that's weird. That's a strange, but you know, you say that actually makes me think of um, some past policies that I know that my district had around suspended student work and that sort of stuff and some pushback. Um, yeah, and that is the that is the only universal policy that we have uh, cool. in terms of what you can do with your grades and all that. It's it's pretty much left up to each teacher. Wow. And we, I, I teach at a small rural school. Uh, wow. There are three science teachers in the high school, and we all kind of we talk about our grading procedures, but we have uh, different philosophies and different uh, applications of how we view grading. Wow. All right. Well, Lee, how about you? What is the, what are the wild west rules of Texas? <laughs> <Yeah>. And <laughs> so thankfully the, the state doesn't dictate like zeros and group grading and all that stuff. I mean, they dictate plenty of other things about grades for us, but um, this is the, the stuff that I wrote about in the show notes is really more of a campus decision. Um, so Mm. group grades, basically that's left to every teacher to decide. Um, I know 
the only time we've done group grading is when we do team testing. Um, otherwise, mm. everything is individual work uh, because we just really haven't found an equitable way to, you know, assign a grade to a group. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more yeah. about that later. Um, but as far as zeros go, so the way that my campus handles this is that, you know, if a kid doesn't just, you know, if a kid just doesn't turn something in after being asked and cajoled and pestered forever and ever, um, then yeah, you go ahead and put a zero in the grade book to signal to them, hey, you're missing something because we have to turn in grades every three weeks. And so, mm -hmm. uh, and part of the reason for that is the, the check for um, academic eligibility to participate in UIL sports. And UIL is the, the governing body of extracurricular activities here in Texas. Um, and so we have to, you know, constantly be updating the grade book. And so if you're not putting in zeros for missing work, then the problem becomes a kid is not eligible, but the grade book doesn't reflect that. And so they may be able to participate mm -hmm. when really they shouldn't be, right? Mm -hmm. Well, if a kid is absent, you know, let's say they're sick or they've, you know, had a college visit day or whatever, and they miss turning something in or they miss taking an assessment, policy on my campus is you don't put a zero in the grade book until they've had a chance to turn it in, right? So until they get back, like you can't put a zero in the grade book because then you're making a student who may be eligible ineligible when really they haven't even been there to turn in the work. Now, does that yeah. stop people from doing it? No. <laughs> because we have folks that, well, I'm sorry, if you you were not here physically, I'm sorry, you're going to get a zero. You know, now I, yeah. I mean, I put in the word, we have a place for comments and I can put in the word missing. And then that tips off the kid and the parent. Oh, hey, yo, you've got something to turn in, but it doesn't do any damage to yeah. their grade, you know, and then I'll remove that once, you know, the kid has submitted the work, you know, and then obviously put the grade in. But as far as like the zeros and stuff go, that's a campus level policy. We don't have a district level policy about anything like that. Yeah, that's it's funny because a for for all of the sort of consternation that happens with with these types of assignments, my school also has no set mm. policy, which I don't know if I'm like foreshadowing the future where this is going to be like one of those things that comes down the line. But I, I do know a lot of schools where they, you know, and I think that you know, Amy's discussion about the the pandemic derailing some of these conversations is very is very much a case where I felt like the equity of the zero was something that I started to hear people talk about before the pandemic as in the, those same conversations about, you know, what is the point of assessment and what is the point of grades and how do we give feedback and that. And it felt like there was a an attempt to build some momentum towards some broader conversations not necessarily to get policy across the board, but to have that idea that we would be doing similar things or that student experience classroom to classroom would have some degree of similarity. And that has just vanished. So I, I actually don't even know, you know, we've had some change in leadership. I don't, I don't know what leaders feel like is their philosophy or how they feel about that. And then, you know, what John said about the the, the students who were suspended. We used to actually have a policy in our school that suspended students got zeros in all the work while wow. suspended. Uh, that was a, that was actually policy. So if you were suspended That's how from ours school, was too. Yeah, that it was a zero. And I know that that obviously, you know, then they got to a point where they're like, wait a minute, so is this double, you know, is this a double penalty? 
Uh, but there was a window of time where, you know, we'd have students who would do that. And then you would, then there was like, you know, the, the super inequitable thing where you would find that, that you were being told, oh, it's okay. We're going to allow them, this student, this exception to that rule. And then we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. you can't have a rule that is that punitive and then give an exception mm-hmm. to some people. So it, it was not a long lived policy. Right. I don't feel, but it definitely was a policy that floated for a little while. And when, you know, people were questioning it, they were like, yeah, we need to we need to address this. This well, doesn't. I mean, and if you work. think about it, really, at the heart, it's an academic punishment for a disciplinary infraction, <laughs> and you know, for us, that's a big no-no. Like, I don't know if yeah. it's codified anywhere in education code here, but I've been told by several principals, you know, in the past, you cannot give an academic penalty for a disciplinary infraction, and it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the punishment then is not fitting the offense. Right. I mean, if the offense is, hey, I got into a fight at school, then the punishment should mean, nope, sorry, you're going to get a zero on every assignment you're going to miss for not being in school because you're out of school suspension. You know, I mean, that kid should have the same opportunity to get that work done as the kids that manage to behave themselves. (laughs) You know, they should have a behavioral, you know, a disciplinary punishment rather than an academic one, because then what are you teaching these kids, right? What lesson are you telling Mm -hmm. them? You know, you're telling them that, oh, okay, well, anytime you misbehave, your grade's going to take a hit, you know, and, and that, that creates for me a lot of cognitive dissonance because I'm like, that doesn't make any sense Mm -hmm. whatsoever. No, it doesn't. But if you think about historically, you know, from back when we started right. teaching, grades were considered a a, a tool for behavior oh, yeah. management. Yeah, for sure. And and I th- and I don't think, um, you know, just like many other policies and procedures and ways people deal with things in our school, um, some people have shown great growth as adults during their time in their careers, and some have and not. Some have yep. not. Yep. <laughs> and. Uh, as I often say that there are some people who, who they roll like it's 1996. Uh, <laughs> and there's not a lot of people left in the building from who were teaching no. back then, but I know what it was like to teach back then. And you certainly see some of those policies sort of still in place yeah. um, as we, as we look yeah. forward. So, all right. Well, uh, so I did think, you, oh, yeah, sorry ahead. to interrupt. Did you no, talk about in the previous episode, what is the point of grades? Oh, we've talked about that in a few episodes, but this is, yeah, but this is a, like, no, this is a great, a great topic, John, because I think, you know, I think that's sort of where I'm getting to is that I kind of want to, I, I think that I, we've had some broader conversations about like the role of feedback. And I mean, I did the whole talk with Paul and did a whole episode with Paul about sort of going a gradeless system and, and sort of the, the ways that we've misused grades. And I think that's come up a lot over the last couple of years, but even as somebody like myself, who is very much about, you know, you know, ungrading and changing policies, I still see the lingering effects of some of these policies in my own classroom. And, and if you read grading from equity, they say like, no, the point of grades should not be about controlling behavior. They should be about, you know, intellectual feedback Mm -hmm. or development of feedback and that there's a, there's a lack of equity there. And that if you read a lot of the grading work, grades are used as a proxy for so many things. Um, like behavior management, um, and and that still exists. And some people think it's totally appropriate, but there's not a lot of research that supports it as a tool that works in that way. You know, there's anecdotes that there are students who will do that, but are those students learning intellectually, or are they do getting better at doing school? Right. 
Well, uh, and is the point to do better at school, right? Because at that point, then, okay, are we gaming the system, right? Are we learning to play the game of school? Or are we actually learning to learn? You know, because I think then that's the other conversation that has to stem from this, because, you know, we talk a lot about the kids who know how to play the game of school. But does that mean that they've actually learned anything? Have they developed critical thinking skills? Have they developed the ability to write and communicate in, you know, various content areas? If you're playing the game of school, I would argue that you haven't really learned to do those things very well. (laughs) You know, you've learned to do them well enough to get by, yeah. right? You haven't learned to do them at, say, a higher um, a higher cognitive level that prepares you for the rigor of whatever you're going to do next. Yeah, uh, I don't know too much about any of the research here, but I yeah. would, my intuition is that the kids that actually play the game of school well uh, end up being fairly... Uh, successful contributors to society. Um, Yeah. I I was going to say it was, I I was going to say that I think that it's even more complicated than what Lee was saying. I I just think that you, what you have is you have students who um, it it depends really on the environment. Mm -hmm. But what I see in my, my freshmen and sophomores is that I have a lot of very compliant students Mm -hmm. who are very well behaved but are also very afraid of taking intellectual risk. And so there are students who, if they, they can do that, they're, they, they, they're very good at school and they can, you know, do a lot of things in order to, they never get in trouble. They know like they're, they're, you know, there's no good trouble. There's no bad trouble. There's that sort of thing. But there's also some really intellectually curious kids who come from very challenging backgrounds or don't have a lot of the privilege, same privilege who, have very little opportunity to access higher level courses and get in trouble all of the time. It's the same percentage of kids in my school that are always in trouble and their academic ceiling is linked to behavior, not their intellectual ability. And there's enormous variability in, in schools like that. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's complicated. Um, you know, having seen it and also having taught another school where like all of the quote unquote good kids were in the honors class and the not good kids were not in the honors classes. And it was it had nothing to do with like their intellectual, like the products that they were able to do or their ability to perform on, you know, engaging with material or anything like that. They just were they were just not trouble. They were quiet. Um, and that's what the honors kids did. Um, and they would they, they were compliant. They tended to find behavioral ways of getting good enough grades to stay in those classes. So um, I don't know. It, I think it's complicated. I think there's, there's good kids and compliant kids who are good thinkers and just because there's quiet. And I also think that there are really a lot of potential in kids that uh, can't, can't get out of their own way because they're 14 or 15 year old kids who, uh, you know, they, they can't get out of their own way and, and they get double penalized when they make a mistake. Yeah, I see that. Uh not to get too sidetracked here. No, uh, that's fine. That, that's one thing I, I kind of like about uh, our rural small school is yeah. we have eliminated in the science department all honors classes, all uh, requirements to any class. So any kid can take any science class um, and there's no honors chemistry or uh, regular chemistry ever 
all the kids are all grouped uh, together, irrespective of uh, any of their prior grades. Yeah. And then that is very In, much including AP biology. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of gatekeeping that goes out in my school. Um, and, and, and I think that I, you know, it was funny. I actually jokingly was talking to one of the other teachers on the other part of my building who I rarely see, but he, he, we, he has like an offhanded statement said, he said, and I don't care. They can get rid of all the levels. That's <laughs> The last thing he said to me in our conversation is just like an aside because they're now we're talking about compressing levels and reducing the amount of tracking in our school. And there's a lot of consternation, like a lot of worry and a lot of like, it, you know, change is hard. And if there's been one thing teachers have had to deal with in the last couple of years, it's been change and uncertainty and uh, their resilience to seeing these new changes that are different, not that they're unheard of. The world's not going to end when they make those changes, but just the the emotions that come out whenever there's change um, has been has been something I've been living with a lot uh, in those conversations. Even for people who are kind of fundamentally agree with it, it's still scary. It's the unknown of where we're going to that's getting there. All right. Well, let's let's get uh, into uh, the next, which is I think we already already hit this, so maybe we'll get a little bit more out of this. But uh, considering the policies um, uh, of specifically uh, how you record zeros or group grades um, in your great book, uh, how do you feel about these particular practices? And maybe do you have these as part of your own policy, uh, John? Uh, you know. How do you feel about recording a zero or, or, you know, having the idea of group grades? Okay. Those, so those are very different questions, right? They absolutely are. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> uh, I, I record zeros um, after uh, the allotted time of makeup more mostly to signal to the students that they need to make up this work. And if they don't, uh, it's affecting their grade. And most of the work that I have, um, I don't assign, I assign very, very little homework. Uh, so mm -hmm. all the work can be done in class. So most of it is coming from students that were absent, which of course we've had uh, a ton of absences over the past three years. The we also have right before lunch, we have a 30 minute study hall that all kids are in all at the same time. Uh, wow. So that gives kids an opportunity to go to their teachers to make up work. Um, and everyone's on the study hall so they can ask any teacher to make up work. They can remake quizzes and so forth. Uh, so it works out uh, really well that every kid is on study hall at that time. Uh, in terms of uh, how I feel about the zeros, you know, I have never had a student get uh, a zero on a test, uh, but certainly there's there's a, a scale there that has brought their grades down. Um, anyway, uh, I, I'm conflicted for sure. <laughs> on group grades, uh, totally different. I I do a lot of group work, as I'm sure you all do. And one of the things that I find really valuable is having low stakes points, but uh, having 
a grade associated with it and giving them the opportunity to get 100% by the end of the class period on the grade. So for example, um, kids will, one of the things I do is uh, a group quiz where I'll pass out a sheet of paper with 10 questions on it, multiple choice questions. The group works together to answer those quiz questions. And then as they miss questions, they have to keep on guessing until they get it right. And then they can, uh, I will take off a third of a point for every wrong answer uh, that they get, but they have to keep on guessing until they get it right. Um, I So with that accounting system, you'll, you might be asking yourself, well, that doesn't add up to 100% if they're getting a third point off each time. So often what I'll do is I'll say, I'm going to give you three freebies here. Uh, and then I'll have a sliding scale uh, to ultimately make it irrelevant about what the grade they're actually getting, more just the practice of, oh, I'm missing a point here. Uh, more of <clears throat> almost a game of, of points during during the class period versus actually affecting their grade in any way. Um, so it is, I would say, uh, as long as my students are, are revising their work and keep on doing doing their work, all group grades end up getting A's uh, <laughs> on those assignments. So it's it's very hard to get less than an A work on, in, on my group assignments. The other thing I like to do is kind of the, the Pogel style. Uh, mm -hmm. And I've actually been putting stop signs throughout any of the, like if they have a worksheet or anything like that, that they're working through a claim evidence reasoning, something like that where they get to one part, stop sign, I go through and look at one of their group members' work and say, these are the parts you need to revise before you can mm -hmm. go on. And that's, it's a great, or checkpoints, uh, anything like that I think is, is really valuable. And then they are really uh, getting appropriate feedback. And I think the, the, the idea of, uh, a point there is just a, a signal for them to it's a extrinsic motivation that uh mm -hmm. that i don't mind <laughs> yeah yeah it's uncomfortable saying those words out loud but i, I know what you mean <laughs> <laughs> all right well lee how about you uh you know we i think you've talked a little bit about it and, and that sort of stuff so you certainly do put in a zero from time to time and and sometimes um, kids I'm actually earn them, the... which is unfortunate, yeah. <laughs> um, just because of the way we structure yeah. some of our assignments. It's possible to earn no points. Um, and so mm -hmm. I'll start by saying, you know, about the stuff about group grading. Um, in the past, we have given like team tests where two kids work together mm -hmm. to complete an exam. Um, and we try to group them based on, you know, we usually group them based on their performance on the previous exam, right? Like how did you know, these two, you know, how did these kids do, right? Because it's not exactly equitable to put the kid who scores the highest with the kid who scores the lowest, right? Because at that point, mm. kid who's scoring the highest is dragging the other kid along and the other kid's not really demonstrating what they know because they're just copying what the other kid has. And at the same time, we're also being, we're also able to see, oh, okay, here are the ones that really you're going to need 
remediation and, and all of this after they take the exam, because every kid has the opportunity to retake, which I think we're talking about in the next episode, mm. right? Yeah. So I don't want to give that yeah, away. Next, next episode. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, we, we tell the kids before they start the exam, hey, you're going to get the same grade as each other as long as you're submitting the same answer. So each kid has their own answer sheet because we use zip grade, right? And if your partner mm-hmm. goes rogue, that's that's on them, right? If they get a better grade or a worse grade than you, that's on them, you know, and and that's that's how that shakes out. We didn't have any, we haven't had any problems with that yet. I say yet because <laughs> we know eventually somebody's going to complain and, and that practice is going to have to change. Um, as far as putting zeros in the grade book goes for assignments, um, and I think I've talked about this before too, we don't take a lot of grades in our course. Yeah. Um, as a team, we take maybe six to nine grades in, or six to eight grades in, an eight, in a nine-week grading period because we are constrained by district policy of how many grades we can take. And so for advanced academics courses like AP and IB, we're limited to 10 grades and that's it. We can't take any more than that. <laughs> and each grade weight can't be, like one grade can't be weighted more than 25% of the student's total grade. So we have some pretty narrow parameters that we have to work within. Um, so if a kid gets a zero, it's... it hurts. It hurts a lot. Yeah. And so students tend to avoid earning zeros whenever possible. Um, most of them do. Some of them have still not learned, <laughs> you know, even after repeated phone calls home to parents and whatnot, they still haven't learned. Um, because what happens is because we're only taking, you know, say six to seven or six to eight grades, if I earn a zero on something that counts 20% of my grade, the highest grade I can hypothetically make is an 80. But if I'm making zeros on things, chances are pretty good. I'm not making hundreds on everything else. And I'm putting my semester grade in jeopardy and potentially putting my course grade in jeopardy and maybe not getting credit for the course, which means if I'm a senior, I might not graduate because I might need your class to graduate. And y'all, it's always the kids that need the class to graduate that are ones that do this kind of stuff. (laughs) I mean, I've I've got one right now that's in that position. And his mom and I have gone round and round about, well, what's going on? I don't know. I don't know either. (laughs) And so we're both trying to figure out how to help their, how to help this kid. But, you know, a lot of times what I'll do is if a kid has forgotten, say, to take a test that they missed, I'll drop a zero in the grade book as a way to say, hey, (laughs) you need to get your business taken care of, you know, and if it makes them ineligible to participate in extracurricular activities, so be it. You know, you are absent. You know, you've got to get this done. At some point, natural consequences have to take over and you need to be accountable for, you know, your action or inaction. Get your work done. Right. We give kids a week from the time they return to get the test taken. And if you're still not able to do it within that time, come talk to me, you know, so that I don't put the zero in the grade book. Because if you're not going to come and talk to me, well, then I'm going to drop that zero in the grade book, you know. And for, you know, I tell the kids all the time, like, look, you can come and talk to me and we can work something out. But we've got to get this stuff done because them not getting their stuff done delays us being able to do retakes and redos and all of this other business. So it's. It's a whole thing. <laughs> it really is. I mean, I um, I forget who it was that I reached out to about, you know, how can I construct a Gradle's classroom with all of these restrictions? 
And it took him three weeks to come up with some kind of a solution. He's like, yeah, your system is one of the most restrictive I've ever heard of. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, and like I said, part of it is due to state law. Part of it is due to district policy. Part of it is due to campus policy. You know, quite frankly, yeah. I'd be okay not having grades or I'd be okay only having grades at midterms and at the end of the semester. But I know that that's not a reality for us, you know, just because yeah. of how, um, you know, eligibility for extracurriculars is determined and all of this. I get that. But in an yeah. ideal world, I would only take grades maybe three times a semester, you know, and just provide yeah. feedback got, the rest of the time. You have to solve that puzzle of how to like blend together all yep. those pieces. And it's funny because it's the opposite of what yeah. mine is, is we have a min- we have a minimum number of grades that go in the grade book that we have to have like at least a certain mm-hmm. minute because they want to avoid the same mm-hmm. same issue is not having a teacher who has like two grades each worth 50% of right. their grade. They're avoiding that. Uh, but we don't have a maximum. I'll say, and we have a minimum like, as well. Know. But, you know, the other problem is we have some teachers on my campus, um, just even advanced academics teachers like me, who will enter, get this y'all, 50 or 60 grades in a nine week period. <laughs> Let that let that oh, sit yeah. with you for a minute. We only see kids every other day. So if a nine-week grading period is, what, 45 days, hypothetically, you're only seeing kids 22 of those days, maybe. <laughs> 60 yeah. grades. That's like three grades a day. It's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And why? Because if I'm a kid in yeah. that class, hypothetically, I could do like two-thirds of the work and still pass your class. And then what does that teach me, right? Okay, well, this third of the work isn't important. It doesn't matter because I can still pass and I can still get by, you know? And what what yeah. what is the meaning of each one of these things that you're making me do, right? Like, why am I doing this? Is it just busy work or what? You know, does it need yeah. to be graded? You know, and I would, I would argue that most of those things probably don't need to be graded at all. Yeah. My, my pandemic grade book got wasn't that bad, but it, it started to look that way because mm-hmm. of basically everything they did was getting like a check yeah. and like a little points here, a little point there. And I remember, I remember the moment like, you know, towards the end of quarter one and it's very different than the way I ever graded. But, you know, as we were in this different space, so different, I was like, I was like, what the heck am I doing? Like, why am I checking so many damn things? And, but like, because of all of the things that sort of wasn't, that's accidentally what I ended up doing as I was checking, like they were having, two asynchronous classes and I would have an assignment on each of those days. And then we'd have the two synchronous classes. Then we'd have the, the zoom Mm -hmm. class. So it was like five days. And at the end of the week, I would have like five of those plus a homework check. And that's six. So like I had 30 grades, like, you know, eight weeks into the quarter. And I was like, I never have that many grades in a quarter, but I, it just was adding up and, and all those things. So I I can see how it's happening at the same time. When I had that happening, I was like, Oh, this is wrong. Uh, (laughs) So, so I can see why, those things pop up. So Amy, I want to transition to you because uh, I know that are your population, like we definitely have very diverse groupings here. Uh, what are, what are your thoughts on, on zeros or group grades when it comes to, to your students and, and maybe your populations in particular? Yeah. So uh, for those of you who don't know, I do teach a lot of co-taught biology and it's a mix with uh, gen ed kids and kids who have IEPs or 504s. And um, you know, I feel like really torn, I'll be honest, between the part of me that feels like I need to make sure I'm using my grade book to show what that child knows 
And the other part of me that is also trying to communicate with the student, with the parents, with the school, because uh, I, I would prefer to never enter a zero if I could, but I know that's not super realistic. And I know that, um, you know, if it's a smaller grade, I'm, I, as you guys said, I'm more willing to put in that zero a little bit sooner because I know it's not really going to have a substantial effect on their grade. Uh, we have opted this year not to do tests at all. We didn't do any tests. We do um, goal quizzes at the end of each goal. And every other summative, we might have, um, you know, between four to six total summatives per goal. And uh, they're worth 10 points each. And the quiz is worth, you know, 35 points or so. So all the grades are pretty low stakes. So I think that's part of the reason that I'm feeling a little bit better putting in those zeros. But we do have a lot of kids that are not super compliant all the time. And unfortunately, if I just put in a little missing indicator, the parents oftentimes don't think it's a big deal that they're missing the work and the kids don't think it's that big of a deal they're missing the work so they don't really prioritize it so sometimes I do put that zero in and usually a lot of the kids will get that work in by the next class as soon as I put that zero in so uh, like I said I'm, I'm really torn between using the zeros as a communication tool with parents and students on what's being turned in and what's not. And then on the other hand, showing what that kid is capable of doing. Because, you know, if that kid is doing all of their work and misses a quiz and I put a zero in for that quiz, it doesn't matter that they had all A's. Their grade's going to drop substantially. That's not really showing what they know or what they're capable yeah. of. Um, as far as like absences go, you know, we do have like a makeup work policy. So I try to follow that as far as when to put in the, the zero, but I try to give them as much time as possible. Um, as far as group grades go. So I know with forensics, we at one point were doing so many group assignments and giving the kids their grades. Um, either by having the group turn in one copy of the work or having them do like a Google Slides and grading the Google Slides. But what we were finding is when we were giving too many group grades, when it came time to the test, we had a number of kids failing who were always doing fine on those group assignments. And mom and dad would always say, why was my kid getting A's on all these other assignments? But then they failed the test. Well, because their group did the work. You know, and, you know, we always were dealing with kids to complaining that certain kids weren't doing their part. And so we really moved away from doing group work as far as summative group work. We do a little bit here and there, like if they were doing a lab and they were working on their analysis together every once in a while, we'll we'll let that go and uh, encourage it. But for the most part, even in biology, we'll actually have them collaborate They'll work together to do tasks, but then they'll head back to their seats to work on an analysis on their own using the data their group collected, using the knowledge they gained through that collaboration. So we found uh, that worked the best as far as allowing them to work in groups, but still holding them accountable for their work as individuals too. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh I'll do something similar where they will do, they'll design their experiments and collect their data, even create graphs all together as a group. And then it's the final 
reasoning part they do independently. Uh, I'm curious when parents, because I haven't had any parents personally contact me, when parents, when you told them that <laughs> their student uh, got A's because of the group work, how did the parents respond to that? So I think that that varies a lot. You know, mm-hmm. some parents understand, but some parents feel that their kid's not being adequately prepared. And a lot of times it comes to, well, did you give them a review guide? Was a review guide associated enough with the test? And so the accountability, a lot of times they would place it on me and not mm-hmm. their child. But that did vary. Uh, and I, usually I wouldn't be like, hey, you know, your kid did nothing. Um, sorry. Because <laughs> honestly, a lot of times I didn't know what their child did or didn't do. You know, right. I might just leave it as it was, you know, those things were group assignments. This test was individual. So my interpretation is that they weren't as prepared for this assessment individually. And uh, yeah. usually that was sufficient enough. But uh, in biology, we never did a ton of group grades, but in forensics, we did a lot of projects. And so I did see this more with that particular course. Um, But like I I said, we really shifted to, hey, in group, you guys are going to learn how to do blood spatter. You guys are going to do all the calculations. You're going to solve this particular case. And then when you go back to your desk, I'm going to give you a new case. And you're going to use all of that stuff that you took down. And you're going to try and do this on your own. So you better make sure when you're in your group, you're asking questions, you're taking down your data, because I'm never going to look at that stuff that's at your table unless you ask me to. You're going to take it back to your seat and complete this individual assessment. And it usually worked really well. They started to care more about what they were doing in their group because they knew they were going to be held accountable later as individuals. Yeah, I think that you've you sort of hit. I, I think where I've hit a little bit of a, an issue. So, for much of what you guys have been saying about zeros is is exactly what I've been saying. I, I have, I really have a hard time with major assessments, and um, I actually don't even know what our school policy is for the number of days after uh, an absence or whatever. I just sort of always work it out with a kid. So, if a kid misses a test or a quiz or whatever, you know, a lab, um, yeah, I just I sort of work it out if they're out, but. Um, the, I've, I've run into, and, and I usually just use it as a communication tool. Like I, you know, I will sometimes go into, you know, we use Google classroom. I'll go into Google classroom and I'm scoring things and I'll be like missing question mark and I won't give them a grade. And then nothing happens two, three days later, I'll drop a zero in there and return it. And I, almost all of that work is formative. So like if they were missing it, I'm just putting it in there and they, I'll let them know. Yeah, you can absolutely make this up and complete it. But these are, you know, we're talking, you know, five point homework checks or like a, a finishing up an activity that we did in class that they submitted. And, and I was just checking their, their, their work on that, but these are not major assignments. And, you know, there's, you know, one or two of those a week that we have. So because we don't have a ton of them, they will add up, but they don't make up a substantial portion of their grade. They're not, they're not major assignments. What I have run into though, is what happened in my non AP class for the group assignments where um, it, it, I, I feel like I, I, I have to, I'm struggling on that individual component. And I ask students for peer and self-evaluations on these, but my freshmen and sophomores are 
are kind of terrible at peer and self-evaluation. They don't have much metacognition and they don't want to be mean to their group members. Or I should rephrase that. They either don't want to be mean or they're really, really mean. Like they don't have any, they don't have any nuance on peer and self-evaluation. Like I need to teach them how to do peer and self-evaluation, which is something I've come to realize. So I will do one project a, a quarter that is a group project. And I've been working on finding the balance between what their individual responsibility is and the group responsibility. And again, the pandemic is sort of like topsy-turvied some of these projects and the way we worked. And so I've been reconfiguring them. But what I found this year is that I'm, I've, I, they're not all the same. And sometimes there's really an individual part and sometimes it's just a group product that they're making. And, and for my younger students who don't have great peer and self-evaluation skills, like, the it, it's really hard it just it's hard to equitably do it and and i think at the end the reason is is because it's just not equitable and i don't think they're great i think we need to put more time into it and we have to do more training but also i think what amy was saying about having the individuals ultimately responsible for their final product may be the direction we have to go and that it, it may not be you know it may not be fair and with my my ap students they're they're better about that. Like I have them write a group lab report that is the equivalent of a journal article. Like that is a multi-authored journal article. And I give them feedback and then I let them rewrite it and revise it if it's not good enough. And I literally just had a group that did that. And it was a group of four. It was an eight page thing that they wrote up and the group together got together and they're like, well, student, student X doesn't have to do any because his section that he took over and ran the calculation section that was per that was complete. Like that was the part we didn't, you know, we got the feedback and, you know, he took point on that and it was good, but these other sections that the rest of us did all need work. So we're going to edit these, but we're, we're going to get the revised grade, but you don't have to do that rewriting. And that, that was like a very much, but that group can do that because they're juniors and seniors, my freshman, and sophomore, I don't, I don't think that they can do that as well. Um, and so I think that that's definitely a piece where, um, if you ask for peer and self evaluations, I think you have to make sure your students are mature enough and handle it. And I think you, I think you have to do some training um, on doing that piece that I, I haven't been doing. Um, and as everything else, the kids teach us what we're not doing um, <laughs> when we go to do them. Yeah, I think the the zero, if you're giving zeros to students, is really the fairness depends on if you're if you allow reworking. Uh, mm -hmm. so if you don't allow reworking and you're giving zeros, it, it puts students, uh, that have a bad day and in, in a bad position. Uh, yeah, but if, if, as long as you're giving reworks, I don't see any issue with putting zeros in as long as mm -hmm. they have the time, uh, allocation for that. All right. Well, let's get to our last our last thought, which is, you know, any other grading policies or practices that that you're struggling with in terms of particularly fairness. I think we've hit some, some big ones. And um, and Amy, uh, how about you? And I, we didn't really get into other policies because with your school. But are is there anything that you're really struggling with or that 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 bothers you about those policies that you're struggling with? So prior to the pandemic, we had a policy that we called the seven and it's a code that stands for excessive absences. And if a child had seven unexcused absences um, or non, uh, any non-medical, so they don't have doctor notes for it, they are going to receive zeros on any work for any absences that 
they had after that seventh absence. And it doesn't have to be seven just in, in my particular class. It can be seven for their semester. And so uh, one of the areas of concern with that is that I had kids that failed biology because they missed a test and it, w- it was during their unexcused absence and I was forced to give them a zero. And we were told that we had to be consistent with that as teachers. Now, during the pandemic, the sevens policy kind of went away. And then it started coming back in terms we (laughs) would see the sevens on the kids' attendance. But when I reached out and I said, what do I do with this seven? They said, it's up to me. They said the teachers now have the discretion to either assign permanent zeros or to give credit, which I think is very unfair because certain teachers like myself, I would allow them to do the assignment, but other teachers are not. And so I, I, I have, I, I'm definitely struggling with that. I'd like to see that whole policy disappear, to be honest, because some kids were missing far more than that number of absences, but mom and dad were able to secure doctor's notes for various reasons, you know, Uh, and these other kids, they may have had some legitimate reasons, like maybe they were the childcare for their siblings, and yet they would never get excused, and they were getting zeros on on assessment. So that's something that um, I hope will soon leave our our absence coding (laughs) and hopefully never come back. Um, Another thing that I think we're all struggling with post you know, this whole pandemic, you know, year, I guess, is is late work and retakes, just um, what kind of structure could we have in place for retakes and late work? Because right now uh, in biology, we're allowing them to retake anything for the whole semester and they can retake it one time. And then we're also allowing late work to be accepted any point during that unit. And Mm -hmm. so uh, what's happening is there are some kids who are procrastinating until after, you know, that maybe the quiz, one of the quizzes for the unit and they're bombing the quiz because they didn't do any of the work that led up to it. And so I'm just trying to figure out like what ways can I better structure, you know, my late work policies and my retake policies so that kids understand that some of this work is necessary for future assessments for your, you know, for them, for their ability to do well on them. I think that's a big struggle is just a lot of the kids are, are, I don't want to say misusing, but I really think they might be misusing some of these opportunities, not using them to grow necessarily, but using them just to try and improve their grade. So I'm hoping to, um, you know, like I said, add a little bit more structure Maybe next year now that we're moving more towards normal again, and hopefully, you know, that will benefit my sanity, but also benefit them as learners, you know. As Bob Kuhn always says, he's like, you got to figure out the economics of your students. Yeah. Like their, their time is a, their time is a value and, you know. There, things need to be weighted and have a, the, the right costs and values for them and all of us have different populations of students. And so the economics of your classroom are going to be different than, you know, at Lee's building, at John's building, at my building. And so sometimes when we change policies or as we've been transitioning and, and trying new things, like, you know, 
I hear of people struggling with something and I go, oh, but it works totally well in my classroom. But that's because the economics of my students are different <laughs> than than the other classroom. Um, yeah, for sure. And- I mean, I think that that's what makes it really hard to develop any sort of district wide policy for certain things like late work and retake. But then on the other hand, when we have a lot of departments that don't accept late work and they don't do retakes. So I feel like sometimes our kids are like, you know what, math is due tomorrow or else I get a zero, your work. I can turn it in in two weeks and I'm fine. So I'm going to focus on math. So I think that's also like a struggle with not having a district-wide policy for things like late work is that there's not a lot of consistency for those kids and even for the parents to like know what teachers accept what work when. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they have. They don't have one boss. They have seven bosses. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, uh, Lee. I should put a timer on you on this one, but <laughs> policies, policies you don't like. So okay, so there's a lot here, um, and a lot of it is because our legislature makes it that way. Um, so we have a law here in Texas that says if a kid earns below a seventy, that districts have to give the kid an opportunity to redo, excuse me, that failing work. Um, and the law was written in response to districts where, you know, kids would earn like a zero, but they would give them a minimum grade of 50, right? The kid didn't actually earn that grade. They were just given that grade, um, in an attempt to, you know, recover some kind of credit anyway. So we have to allow kids the opportunity to redo any failing assignment that they submit, right? Home, you know, whether it's a quiz, a test, a lab, whatever. Um, our district modifies that a little bit, um, so that for advanced academics, I think we allow retakes up to a 60, I think is right. But that doesn't sound right. I, I might be wrong. And the way my team kind of interprets that, we're like, okay, cool. You know, we're going to let you redo this stuff. But for tests and quizzes, you have to have all of these other things in place before you can do the retake, right? Have your notebook done, like for tests. Have your, your interactive notebook done. Make sure you complete the progress check. You've got to correct your exam with justification. Um, and then you've got to do a, remedi- a remediation piece. And if you've got all of those, if you've ticked all those boxes, you get to retake your test for full credit, right? Well, let's say that I have all of that done, except I didn't have my, my notebook done, right? Didn't take my notes or anything. Didn't complete my study guides. Okay, well, you can retake, but you can only retake for an 80, right? And so, you know, I I see the utility in this law, right? I do. I get it. But on the one hand, we're telling kids, you know, at least the the message at my campus is best effort first time. Get it right the first time. But then they know, oh, I can just, I can fail it and I can just redo it. And so we have a lot of kids who they will sit for an assessment knowing that, you know, not preparing, knowing that they can just redo it you know, and at whatever level they choose to redo it, they redo it. Um, And so they just don't even bother trying, right? They, they just don't. Um, And then as far as like late work goes, you know, so that, that part of the law, I don't really like, I I just don't, I really don't. I mean, I think that should be, I don't think that's something that needs to be legislated. I really don't. Um, Mm -hmm. To me, that's a bit of overreach. Um, And as far as late work goes in my district, you know, we have a policy that states in our advanced courses, we're not supposed to take late work, right? But, you know, my thinking is, you know what, sometimes life happens. And, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes there are things that are unavoidable, you know, like, for example, 
you know, we had kids last year that after Snowmageddon were living in extended stay hotels because their homes had been damaged beyond repair. And, you know, they're having to share a computer with siblings who are going to school in the same district and couldn't always get to submit work on time or whatever. You know, if I followed my district's late work policy for advanced courses to the letter, I would have had so many kids fail because, nope, sorry, kids, can't take your late work because, nope, sorry, you're living in a hotel right now because your house is, you know, being fixed by a contractor. Yeah, sorry, district policy says this. You know, so I think that for things like that, you know, I think there really does need to be some flexibility built in, you know, because you think about it, even even adults get a little bit of grace for things like, oh, you didn't go get your car tags? You have five days <laughs> to go get it past the expiration mm-hmm. date. You know, you didn't renew your driver's license on time? Okay, well, you have this many days to get it before, you know, we start fining you or whatever. You know, oh, you need an extension mm-hmm. on your taxes? Okay, you have another however many weeks to get it done. I think students should be extended those same, you know, opportunities as long as they don't abuse that privilege. <laughs> right? The minute the kid starts abusing it, then then you need to figure out, okay, why? Why are they continuing to turn work in late? You know, what is the, what is the root cause of this behavior? Um, you know, so I wish that our policy was a little bit more flexible that way, but I think, you know, I think every teacher, you know, interprets that as they wish. You know, I know I certainly do, so... Yeah, I in it's you brought up so many excellent points about that the the equity piece as well um, that that having a legislative policy is a big creates a big yeah, equity. Yeah, it issue. really does. It really does. Yeah, John. John, how about you? Is there any uh, any of these policies that you're struggling with or? <laughs> uh so the if you get suspended, you automatically get a 60%. It's kind of weird. Uh, to be honest, uh, it's pretty easy me for me to ignore rules. Uh, so <laughs> not a, that's more of a bug than a feature. Um, I would, I would say, so a couple things on, on Lee's points, I, I give uh, retakes and, and all that. I, uh, I say you can turn stuff in until uh, really the Wednesday before the end of the quarter. Uh, so if one thing I, as Lee was talking, the, the rule that I would probably make uh, if I was in Lee's shoes would be, okay, so all assignments for this quarter are due the Wednesday before the quarter ends. But if you want your grades handed in in a timely manner, uh, then you sh- you should go by this date, you know. So, uh, <clears throat> but I don't get a lot of pushback from my district. Um, as I said, our, I'm fortunate our administration is very hands off and just trust that teachers are going to do their job. So uh, it works out really well. Uh, and then there was. The, the other thing on, on one of Lee's points about students trying to game the system with retakes, uh, I, I don't mind that at all. Uh, so <laughs> if a kid decides, you know what, I'm not going to study at all. I just want to see what this test is like, and I'm just going to bomb it because I know I can get a retake. Uh, I think in, in some respects, uh, there are, 
learning well. So what I mean by that is assessments are seem to be one of the best ways that students learn by is through the assessment itself uh, versus any of the, like some students certainly will learn that strategy by taking uh, practice tests, practice quizzes. And I can do that in my own class, right? Uh, but the kids that go above and beyond will create their own practice test and, and they will end up doing super well because they learned through that practice test that what they were deficient in. And so if a kid shows up, didn't study, bombs it, knows Mr. Darko can will give infinite retakes, uh, they're learning through the assessment. Uh, they are having spaced practice where they, you know, they're spacing that learning out over a, a number of times. And the more times they are taking it, uh, most likely they're going to learn the material a little better than the student that just studied once, got an A, and forgot it. Yeah, you you also bring up an interesting point because as you were saying that, I, I was thinking that I allow kids to hand things in, but one of the things I've designed in some of my assignments is the opportunity to revise things. But sooner or later, the quarter ends. And so there becomes like this, the, the, there becomes a cost to using that as your study policy. So like, for example, I do, you know, practice essays in AP and I basically kind of grade whoever's turned them in every Friday. So I have a group of kids who like they do the first one and they hand it in and then I get them back and sometimes they do a little bit better and then sometimes they do a little better. And I've got kids who have to hand it in three or four times before they get a 10 out of 10. They can hand it in as many times as they want until they we get to the test. And then what I say is that after that point, um, I'm not collecting them anymore. I'll, I'll still score the ones that have come in, but you're getting the score that you get at that point. And so I provide the opportunity for that spaced practice, just as you're saying, but but they have to decide whether or not they're going to do the work under that particular manner. And I kind of feel like, almost like, I feel like if I was in Lee's shoes, I would almost design my assessments differently. I would almost design my assessments such that, hey folks, these are gonna, these are gonna be brutal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where these are going to be like, they're going to almost like the, the, the taking of the test and taking of retests was actually part of the design of the course, you know, such that you're not like penalizing people for necessarily retaking or that maybe you're providing the opportunity for students to do that. I, I don't know. It, it makes me think of things that I've successfully um, not been annoyed by. And I guess I think I have to frame it that way. I like the first time around, I used to get annoyed by the kids who wouldn't do any of their like their their formative check-ins early on and they would just all dump them at the end of the unit and so I had this giant pile at the end of the unit and because they were gaming my system and it was because I was tired I didn't like having to grade like you know 40 of them all at once because that was the problem is that I had designed it in such a way that it was gonna I was gonna do 10 a week or whatever and now all of a sudden I'm doing all 40 at once and and again I have to create a new test or that but if I design it in that way where that's part of the design I'm less annoyed and I don't feel like they're gaming some sort of system I'm redesigning my system based off of student feedback. Um, Well, I mean, and I would do things differently if I were a solo teacher. I mean, that's the thing that we have to remember here. Uh, I work on a team of two other teachers. And so it's kind of hard to get 
buy-in for some of the things that I want to try. And so for some of the more, I guess, radical things that I do, I do it with my IB students because (laughs) I'm the only one that teaches that class. So I can do whatever Mm -hmm. I want to do, you know? And so in that class, we have what are called best buy dates and due dates, right? So your due date (laughs) is, hey, turn it in by this time. I'll give you feedback to refine your work. And then the best buy date, and and that's an optional date. You don't have to turn it in on that day if you don't want to. If you want feedback from me about how to improve your work, then you turn it in on that day. And I will tell you that 90% of my kids will turn their work in by that day. The best or the, yeah, the best buy date is, okay, here's this due date a couple weeks later where if I, if you submitted your work on the, you know, or no, yeah, on the due date, then you got feedback, you've refined your work. And you're now turning in your final copy. But if you decided, you know what, yeah. I'm just going to, it's a crapshoot. I'm just going to turn in my work on the due date. You don't get any feedback. You also don't get an opportunity to refine your work because I gave you the opportunity yeah. and you chose not to exercise it. And, you yeah. know, kids learn real quick. <laughs> They're like, oh yeah, I should yep. probably get that feedback from her first before I turn the stuff in. And that has actually worked out really, really well for the for the bunch that I have this year, you know, because I was very transparent with them at the beginning of the year. I said, look, you know, if it were up to me, we wouldn't have but this many grades. I said, however, <laughs> this is a system we all have to work in. So here's what I'm going to do to kind of manipulate it a little bit to provide you with information to inform you about how to do better. And what's really funny is it's actually, I've, I think it's been pretty successful so far. And some of the things that the kids have learned from, you know, my practice, they've applied to their other IB classes. <laughs> and so, you know, they're, they're out there asking their other IB teachers, can I get some feedback on this before I turn it in for a grade? I can, can I get this? Can I get this? Cause their other teachers don't do the same thing. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. I wish that I had, the pull to encourage my AP team to do that. But for us, it's the sheer number of students that each one of us has on our rosters. I mean, I can do that with 17 kids. It's easy. With 17, it's not a problem. With 120, it's a little bit, the the proposition of doing that is a little bit more, you know, cumbersome and, and asking other people to do it too. You know, just because I might be willing to do it doesn't mean that they're going to be willing to do it either. Yeah. And, and Lee, you've really sort of hit on my, my biggest issue is that for me, I've, I've redesigned my AP class to really bake revision Mm -hmm. into it. And it's not to say that I don't think my honors team would do it, but the fact is, is that there's been so much change and it's a five member team and we're in different places in philosophy that we need time to work together for them to grow Mm -hmm in those policies and to try things and have right. discussions and that sort of stuff. So and like, that's how my like, team is too. I, like we the, just haven't had the time to have those discussions yeah. because like you said, we're all in different places, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that this last project I rolled out, like I, I, we, we had an old term project. I was like, we don't have time to do this term project that we we've always done as our term three project. It just wasn't going to happen. Everybody was stressed out. All of these other moving pieces were going on. So I went through and I pulled some other things that we needed to do. And I wrote up a brand new project that I gave everybody. 
And one of the people said to me, they're like, well, we've never done this project. So like, I don't know, I'm a little uncomfortable. So what are we going to do if the, the kids turn in, you know, you know, crappy projects, are we just going to let them redo it? And I said, yes. And I didn't realize he was asking a rhetorical question because <laughs> he didn't really mean that. <laughs> but the fact is, is that like, we could have designed that as to be part of the project, that it was a project that would have like a temporary draft and an improvement and like, but we just don't have time to work together mm -hmm. enough. And with all of the other changes that are going on, that that's something that um, I wish we had more time. Like I, might, I have a student teacher now and I asked him about how much he works as a student teacher on grades and grading. And he's like, we've never talked about grading mm -hmm. <laughs> in his, in his program. And I'm like, uh-huh. Like it's only like the thing you now. do and that your kids. Yeah. But they, they talk about how to transmit information to students that they spend. That's like 90% of the work they do. I mean, they talk about other things and they do other theory stuff, but like boots on the ground, like how to grade things, how to provide students with feedback, no, how to shape your grading systems. They don't really address yeah. that in, in teacher we training didn't, programs. We didn't. And um, in the program I went through, we didn't. We uh, definitely didn't. <laughs> nope. I, I think they assume the school is going to yeah. take care of that because every school has mm -hmm. different policies. So. All right. Well, we definitely went long and I'm just going to hundred percent blame John for that, but that's okay. We're just going to bring a new teammate in and, nice. you know, sometimes practice runs long, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> no, it's great. I think it's a lot. And I think we definitely got into the next conversation. So if you enjoyed the talks about retakes and revision, definitely tune in in two weeks. Let me give show credits. Uh, please subscribe to life of the school on your podcast player of choice. And Hey, maybe if you know a friend who is a teacher, and if you're listening to this, you probably know several teachers. Tell them to subscribe, particularly life science teachers. Our numbers have been dramatically down this year. I don't know really why. And um, I would love to be having more impact. More people need to listen to uh, my lovely panelists. So not only subscribe, but uh, pick up your friend's phone and subscribe for them. <laughs> um, <and laughs> also, you can get show notes at lifeoftheschool.org or at patreon.com slash lots. I do release early releases on Patreon. Um, as well as show notes again at patreon.com slash lots. We got some lovely feedback from, uh, from uh, Mr. Knufke via Twitter um, through some Twitter messages this past week on our last episode. And he is one of our gold member Patreon. So uh, definitely uh, enjoy his feedback and, and he can extol the virtues of being a Patreon member. Uh, music on this and every episode is provided by Jake Jenkins. And you can reach me on Twitter at Mr. Matthew tweets or at life of the school. And I will tweet out the panelists when I release the show. So thanks for joining us and I will talk to everybody soon.